Thank you so much. Praise God. The Lord is good. All the time. So I kind of botched that a little bit. Let's try it again. God is good. All the time. Amen. Amen. Turn, if you would, to James chapter 1. So one of the reasons I wanted to review today the um, Bible reading plan is because sometimes you, you read a passage in your daily Bible reading and it just sticks in your soul and you get help fresh for that day and it's like just what you needed. Just what you needed to hear from God that particular day to help your soul. And so we, we just, we, we can't get enough of God's word, but God knows exactly what we need at the right moment. And I, I was reading this passage in James chapter one, and I was just struck afresh by the help that God brings us in the midst of trials and difficulties. So that's, that's why we're going to be spending some time thinking about that today. And as you're turning there, I'm going to open us in a word of prayer. And I, I pray that God would just ignite this in our hearts, like a, a flame in our soul that burns brightly as we face trials in our lives. And maybe some of y'all are going through trials right now. Maybe you're in the heat of a very deep, difficult, tough trial. Maybe you're coming out of one. Or maybe you're preparing to go into one. This is a word for us. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. It is life-giving, hope-giving, soul-stirring. It's food to our soul. It's like a compass that guides us. And Lord, I thank you that your word is spirit-inspired. It's been breathed out by you. It has your authority. It has utter truthfulness. It speaks to life where we all live it. And ultimately, it is true in every jot and tittle, Lord. It records the blunders and difficulties, and, and it, it records the ugliness of sin and the glories of the gospel. All of it is contained in your word. And Lord, you did not you did not waste one word, one syllable, or one verse. All of it is for our edification and our good. And I pray that you would bring your word in power. And I pray that, that, that you would help those who are struggling today, who are, are experiencing all sorts of things in their hearts. Maybe have been brought here today with a heavy heart. Maybe they're totally encouraged because you've given them victory in some trials that have recently happened. Or maybe they are um, just wrestling with decisions that need to be made and need a word from you, need help. And I pray, Lord God, that your spirit would minister to our souls today and that you would anoint me to preach your word and that I would preach it self-forgetfully, full of faith, full of a holy boldness that looks to you, 
looks to honor you and bless your people. And I pray, God, that that you would move on our hearts and that we would experience the very presence of God coming upon the word and meeting us where we're at now. And we thank you and we praise you and we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that pastors are called to do is, is get people ready for suffering. Get people ready for trials. Because trials are coming for all of us. We're going to have difficult days of adversity because we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. We live in a world where things just go wrong. And you could be going along one day and everything's going fine and the birds are chirping and the sun is shining and then all of a sudden, boom, you pop a flat tire on the road and you're stuck out there and the cars are whizzing by and all of a sudden your day is turning into sort of a nightmare and dealing with insurance and all of that. And that's just an example of just the fallenness of the world. Things go bad. Thorns and thistles, right? Work becomes difficult. Trials. We all know and we've all tasted what it looks like when things go wrong. It's not a question of if we're going to go into a trial. It's just when. And so God, God wants us. He's given us word. He's given us instruction. He's given us help to help you in the tough times of life so that you can see your trials through a biblical perspective. So you can see them from kind of a d- divine perspective. Because I'm going to tell you, nobody who was on the Titanic when it was cruising through the seas and the oceans that night expected to run into an iceberg. And then when it happened, their world was shook up. And something cataclysmic, life-threatening just hit. And trials can come at us like that, just out of nowhere. And sometimes trials can endure. They can last a long time. And you feel like, well, my, my life is just like one big trial. And God wants to give us a vision of what he's up to in that. Because if you go into trials just blindly thinking like God's not up to anything in them, that's how the world runs into trials and difficulties. When they, when they go into the trials, they grumble. They complain. They, they're, they're mad. And we're going to have different emotions initially, but, but the scripture shapes our thinking so that we can enter into trials with joy, with a sense of knowing the very purpose and design for them. And so what I'm calling this message is ultimately trials, tenacious faith, and our everlasting joy. Because that's what it's all about. Your, your, your trials and your difficulties are aimed at something. They're not for nothing. Every moment of your life is purposed and has intention. So nothing you go through is meaningless, especially your trials. And your trials are designed for the very purpose to produce godliness, Christ-likeness, spiritual maturity in your soul. And so what I want to do in this message is I want to give you some ballast for your boat 
to kind of weigh that down so that when the storms come, you've got anchors running deep. You're not going to be shook up. Or at least if you initially are shook up, you remember the truths that we find in James. And so just a few words about James. James is actually writing to Jewish Christians who have experienced intense persecution. In the first century, you had Roman emperors who hated Christianity. I mean, they used to take Christians, dip them in oil, and light them on fire and use them as garden torches. That's the kind of stuff that went on. And the church went through those kind of trials. And so that's the kind of seriousness and gravity. And so James is going to get after trials. It's the very first thing he says. He's like, greetings. And then all of a sudden he's like, let me tell you about trials. Because we need that. How many of us just, we need a word about this tough stuff that we go through in life. And that's what God is doing here. So turn with me um, to James chapter 1, and we're going to read the first four verses just to get a little bit of context. And you're going to be able to see that I I, I just want to show you three anchors that are kind of going to ground you. They're going to secure you. They're going to steady your faith in the midst of hardship, in the midst of real struggles. And you guys know, if if, if you were to write it on a whiteboard, you guys know. What, what am I going through right now? What's my struggle? You could probably write a few things down that are like, this is, this is where I'm at. Maybe some of you are having a rocky time in your marriage. Things are difficult. Heads are budding. Maybe some of you have known the heartache of a child who's just strayed from the Lord. Maybe some of you are facing right now, right in this very moment, a crisis at work. Or maybe you feel like, I'm, so, I'm just struggling with school and the assignments and, 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 and the way that we have to do it now because of the pandemic. And, and I just don't feel like it's just hard, right? God wants to speak to you in that. He wants to, he wants to give you a word. And so I'm going to give you three things to think about. Three anchors. Number one, to rejoice in the midst of our trials. Number two, to know trials produce a tenacious faith. And number three, we are to receive our trials as a good design from God. We want to receive trials as the design of God for our good. So let's look at that in James chapter 1. Verse 1, James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is James, Jesus' half-brother. This is the the brother of the Lord. And he's saying, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't like throw his, his, I'm Jesus' brother card out there, right? He's not like, you know, it's just, I'm Jesus' brother. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal, but I am, you know. He's like, I'm a servant of the Lord. His heart is to live for God. And, and he gets right after it. He's like, I'm a servant of the Lord, and I'm writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings, and then boom, right to our text. Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its 
full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's the Word of God to us. James is after our hearts and our perspective in the midst of trials and suffering. And he wants to get after that right up front. Because it's one of the most important things in life. The Apostle Paul reminds us that through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said the world hated him and it's going to hate you. There are many, many difficulties in the Christian life. It is a pilgrimage. It's a road that's not traveled much because it's hard. But ultimately, James is going to ask us to think about it in ways that are profound. Anchor number one. This is anchor number one. It's like, I want you to get this because it's going gonna, it's gonna to put steel in your spiritual backbone. Rejoicing in the midst of trials. Look at verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So James is saying, I'm after your joy in the midst of trials. And that sounds so counterintuitive, right? It was like, I'm so happy that I got a flat tire on the road. I'm so excited that I just got a diagnose about cancer. You know, yay! Nobody's saying that. And James is not that kind of Pollyannish sort of put on a plastic smile and pretend everything's going well and we're in church and it's like, yay! No, he's saying, ultimately, I want you to have joy in the midst of your trials and to count it all joy, to think deeply about your trials and what God is up to because there's a purpose for it. It's the joy that you get from knowing what the trial is actually going to do in your soul. And it's going to produce a godliness and a faith. So our trials are aimed at something. There's a, a telos. There's a design. There's, there's, there's an end goal. There's a destination for them. Every one of them. I can remember, you know, every time, you know, when you get in a car and you're a parent and you have small children, what's the very first question that's asked? Where are we going? <laughs> Where are we going, Dad? Where are we going? And if you don't answer that question, right, like it's going to be a rough ride. But ultimately, what you do is you say, this is where we're going. Hey, we're going to the Creation Museum. Hey, we're going to Disneyland. And ultimately, the destination determines how we feel about the actual ride. God wants to do that in your heart. He wants you to know what the trial is about. It's a design for your good and for his glory. And ultimately, it's producing something powerful in you. Verse 12 of chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. You've got glory coming. That's what your trials are about. They're preparing you. They're shaping you. They're molding you. But I don't, know, I don't want us to miss the details in verse 2, right? Count it all joy, my brothers. And this is written to Christians, my brothers. So if you're, if you're not a Christian, you're not going to experience this kind of blessing, this vision for how to live life in the hard realities, because you won't have that end. 
But this is for Christians, right? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. And notice that it's, it's various trials. Every one of us knows that trials come in different shapes, different sizes, and the word actually means like many colors. So this idea of like Joseph's coat of many colors, there's all sorts of little colors and stripes and nuances and all kinds of difficulties we go through. We go through monetary difficulties, bills start piling up. We go through physical difficulties and sickness and illness. We go through just the difficulties of different stages of life and different seasons where there are things that happen to us. And we've got to kind of persevere and know that God has a design in this. He's got a design and a purpose in it. And even though they're various and multifaceted, God has a purpose for each one of them. That's profound to think about. I'm reminded of Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No trial has overtaken you that is not common to men. Even though they're various, the fact that you're going through it is common to all men. We all experience these difficulties, right? God is faithful in them, though, and he will not let you be tempted or tested beyond your ability. But with the temptation... He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now that endure word is going to come up again in our actual text. But my dear friends, listen, you're not alone. You're not alone in your suffering. You're not alone in your trials. The saints of old and the saints in this room, we all experience similar realities. And you need to know that what's going on is not something strange. This was happening back in the first century. It's been happening all through church history. And God uses it for good in the people's, his people's lives. For a glorious end and an everlasting joy in our lives. Consider it all joy, my brothers. And notice that he also says it's not if we go into it, but when. We got, to, we got to have a mindset of understanding our trials so that when we go into it, we're not knocked on our uh, backs, right? We're not punched in the gut, gasping for air because we didn't see it coming. And ultimately, we had no biblical perspective on it. Because that's a recipe to be bitter, to be angry at God, to not understand his goodness in the midst of it. And you cry out, why, oh God, why is this happening? And maybe some of you are doing that right now. You're just like, why? Why me? Why am I going through this? Why am I the one chosen for this? Right? I was thinking of uh, Fiddler on the Roof. And, um, you know, it's that musical of, of a Jew, Orthodox Jew who's kind of having to come to terms with the modern world, and he's not liking all the stuff going on that, that, that he's got to change. And so he's like, why? And he's like in this dialogue with God. It's almost like blasphemous, but it's real. He's like, why? Why are you doing this to me? Why am I so poor? You know, if I were a rich man, it, it would be all good. Everything would be great. Why me? But maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're just like, why? And if you're a Christian, there's a glorious reason for it. There's glorious good afoot in your soul. 
because of it. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various trials. And I just think, joy. Joy is not the operative expression we really think about when we think about hard, difficult, tough realities in life. But if you see the end game, it infuses your vision of your trials with the kind of joy that is just supernatural. It is just soul transforming. It is winsome. It's effective. It's, it's doing something in your soul. It's the opposite of the sort of leave it to beaver Christianity that's just kind of like, yay, you know, it's like, like, like kind of a fake Ned Flanders sort of Christianity that's false to the core. No, this is a deep, profound, pure joy. And countercultural, not our initial reaction kind of joy that has to be produced by deep reflection that the text says, count it, think about it, think it as joy because you understand what's happening to you. And it's not a fiery trial that's come upon you that's strange. But no, it's for your good. And Jesus said, expect it. Paul said, you're going to enter the kingdom through those kind of tribulations. And it's forging a kind of real faith, or it's exposing the reality of a real faith in you if you're a Christian. That's glorious. So, if we're in the middle of our trial right now, we're in the middle of suffering right now we need to know what's happening to us and we need to know the proving ground and the testing of our faith that's happening so that's anchor number two know that your trials produce a tenacious faith and look at it right here in verse we'll see the flow verses two to three count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for Here's the reason, you know, this is something I want you to know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, this idea of steadfastness, perseverance, tenacity, this kind of holding on to God that doesn't let go in the midst of the harsh realities of your life, in the midst of marital strife, in the midst of a child leaving, in the midst of the reality that you see the hardships that come and you hold on to God in the midst of it. Because He's got glorious purposes for you. And this this holding on to God, it's like this tenacious grip. I'm going to hold on to you, God, and I'm not letting go. I'm going to look to you. My gaze is on you. It's not at the circumstances, but it's on God. Oh, that we get that, and that, that we get that heart to just look to God and hold on. And that's what this is about. It's a enduring, persevering, steadfast quality. And you all know what endurance is. It's this ability to last through the long haul to the end. It's what marathon runners do, right? Marathon runners, they run a 26-mile run. And it's not a sprint. I mean, if you bolt out the gate and you're like, and you're just huffing it, and you try to do that for 26 miles, you're going to peter out and crash. 
You have to endure. You have to be steady. You have to be continuing. You've got to be persevering when your gut is ready to explode. And you need God. And you call out and you hold on. God is good. And He wants to meet you in that. And He wants to produce that tenacious faith. He wants to take a faith that is just uh, needs that testing. It needs that building. It's like a muscle that you've got to build. When you go to the gym, you're going to work on your muscles. You're going to exercise. And you inflict pain on yourself. You have affliction. And the muscles begin to hurt. And they begin to tear. And they begin to do all sorts of stuff that's not pleasant. But it produces the result of a healthy body. And you've got to take your faith to the gym you got to take your faith to the gym and work it out. And that's what trials are all about. They're taking your faith to the gym and you're working out a real faith that looks to God that's glorious. And the world looks on and goes, what is that about? How can you persevere? Why don't you give up? It's like Job's wife. Why don't you curse God and die? Job's just, you know, he's lost everything. He's lost family. He's lost reputation. He's lost friends. He's lost his possessions, all in a single day. And, and his wife's like, why don't you curse God and die? And he's like, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be his name. And he's going to remain faithful because he keeps holding on. He keeps persevering. And it, at one point, he's scraping boils off of himself in an ash heap with a broken shard of pottery. And it's horrible. And maybe none of us in here have tasted something that painful, that long, for that, that kind of intensity. But Job, in the end, if, if you turn to the end of James, um, we see in, in chapter 5 and verse uh, 10 and 11, um, it says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, Will himself, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm on the wrong book. <laughs> but it sounded good. Um, chapter 5 and verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, and you have heard of their steadfastness. That's that tenacity. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Job didn't give up and God restored all that Job lost and more. And Job said, though he slay me, I will trust him. He was in the furnace of affliction. And that's that's that same language here. If you look at verse three, it's testing for, you know, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Job went through a test. That's what that was all about to produce something in his soul. And it's this idea of testing metal in the furnace to purify it and to actually bring out all the impurities, all the, the undesirable qualities, and the, the metal gets refined and renewed. And it's the refiner's fire. If you've ever heard that song, refiner's fire. My heart's one desire is to be holy. Ultimately, God is making us holy through our trials. So when you have stuff like that going on, 
No, it's for good. I had a friend when I, early on in my walk with the Lord who would just say to me, every time something bad happened, he would be like, it's good for you, brother. And, and, and it got to be like a thing. And it wasn't like this fake thing. It was like, brother, it's good for you. Like the stuff you're going through is soul forming good for you. And God's working something in you glorious. Christians are like tea bags, right? You don't know what they are until you put them in hot water. And when you do, that's when the flavor starts coming out. And God wants to make your flavor sweet for the gospel. He wants to make your dependence real. He wants to show you how powerful and how glorious he is to sustain you through the difficulties in life. And just like the resistance training in the gym or the refining fire, God is producing something beautiful in you. Christ is being formed in you. What's the quality of your faith? What's the reality of its genuineness? Listen to the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by the fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. So at the end, when God brings us before the judgment throne, all of the beauty of your faithfulness that you have endured is going to be on display and it's going to be to the praise and glory and honor of Christ. You're going to be getting crowns to throw at His feet because of how you endured your trials. That's beautiful. And that's something the world does not know. They don't face trials like that. But Peter wants you to know it's the genuineness of your faith that's being tested. I find it interesting that Jesus actually taught that sometimes trials reveal a false faith. That sometimes trials actually that come into people's life demonstrate and, and expose a faith that's not real. And they fall away. And they reject the gospel. And they, they hate the things of God, ultimately. Listen to what he says in the parable of the sower. He's talking about the rocky ground soil. And remember, he, in the parable of the sower, he's talking about different kinds of soil that are people's hearts. That are, that, that are showing. And all of the, the ones that have deficiencies, that are defective, don't receive the word of God fully. And they don't produce crop. And Jesus says, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. So initially, it looks like they're real. And then they have no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. And then when tribulation comes and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So trials test the genuineness of our faith, but they also expose the reality of our faith. So if you're a believer 
as you see God helping you persevere through the trial, as you get through it, as you're growing, as you're humbling before God, as you're sticking and holding on with that tenacious faith, you realize, man, I'm the, I'm the real deal here. God is actually working in me to preserve me through things I never would have thought I could go through. And God will do that for you if you keep your eye on the design of God. Keep your eye on the purpose for it all. Have the end in view. The kids need to know where the car is going, right? Anchor number three. We need to receive, we need to yield to this design of God to mature us. Look at verse four. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's like trials have a purpose, and you need to let steadfastness have its perfect work. Let the endurance have its perfect work. You can't short-circuit the process. If you want to hit the eject button, if you want to bail out, if you want to turn to something like substances or alcohol or something to just kind of numb the pain, no, you've got to look to God. You've got to cling with tenacious faith and you've got to continue to yield to the Spirit's work in your hearts as the hard stuff is coming. Keep depending, keep clinging, keep praying. Don't give up hope in our Lord. He's going to bring you through to the other side. He's the good shepherd and he walks through the valley of the shadow of death with his people. He doesn't just lead you up to it and say, bye. No, he's with you in that. That's so encouraging. We must yield and not short circuit the process. Now, I, I love microwave popcorn. It's like one of my favorite things to do is get some microwave popcorn, sit down with my wife and we'll watch a movie. But the thing, like, microwave popcorn is kind of a science. You know, you have to, like, get it out of the microwave at the right time. Because you all know that the timing things don't always work out. And you got to kind of wait and listen. Now, if you get excited, though, and you smell that buttery popcorn, and you hear it popping, and you're like, I want to get it. <laughs> you know, and you're like, I want to get it. So you go in there, and you go too early. What happens? Yeah, you've got... You've got kernels that are really warm, that are going to crack your teeth. They got buttery flavor, but it's a mess. You've got all this half-cooked popcorn, and it's a disaster because you didn't let the microwave do its work and actually take its full effect in your life, <laughs> in your popcorn. But it's also true of your life. If you short-circuit that, if you try to avoid it, if you don't yield to the Spirit's work, then you're probably going to repeat that same trial, that same crisis, because God is a master craftsman. He is composing a symphony. He has something he's doing in your soul, and he wants you to know that you're his masterpiece, and every brushstroke matters. Do not buck against the good wisdom of God's providence when these things come upon you as something strange is happening, because it's an opportunity for you to Grow closer to God. It's an opportunity for Christ to be formed in you. And verse 4 says that you may be perfect and complete. That you might be mature. 
And all the way to glory, He's growing us. He's sanctifying us. He's making us more like Jesus. That's a beautiful thing. We've been talking about Romans 8.28 a few times, and one of the things I didn't read is, you know, God works everything for good in your life, is what it says. But one of the things I didn't read is the verse after it. We don't often read that. So, Romans 8.28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together good for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. So for Christians... Now listen to this. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. God has purposed ahead of time to make you more like Jesus in every trial and every difficulty and every suffering that comes into your life is designed for that very end. And God is glorified when you become more like Jesus. And the church is winsome. And its witness is bold. And the Spirit is upon the church. And people get saved. And God begins to move. And the church is added to. And you see that all through the book of Acts. You see that all through church history. So this matters in the witness of the very church itself because the world is watching how we live. Is it Ned Flanders or is it the real deal? Is it the Pollyannish sort of fake smiles or is it a real joy that transcends circumstance? It's not, it's not a fake joy. It's something that you've been tried and true. You've weathered the storms and trusted God and your faith is real. That's profound. Notice this language in verse 4 one more time. It says, ultimately, that when we yield to the Spirit's work, we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When you are trusting the Lord in such a way, it works out all the deficiencies in your faith. All of the blind spots. Every trial of God that comes into your life is designed to get at some blind spot. Something you don't know about God and you don't know about His purposes and you don't know about His goodness and you don't know about His love that He wants to flesh out in your soul. And when you, when you yield, when you trust, when you cling tenaciously, you learn about God. You learn about who He is. You learn about His glorious work in your soul. And then you're able to share that with others. You're able to comfort others with the same comfort you receive in that trial. And then it's like a spiderweb effect and it just spreads everywhere. Because God's purposes in your trials is for your everlasting joy. And it's also for the joy of your brothers and sisters. Because you're going to bless them when you're faithful. You're, gonna, you're not going to have a deficient faith. You're going to have a faith that lacks in nothing. That's ever growing in godliness. Not perfect but maturing and headed towards that perfection. 
Verse 12 is, is the end game, right? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life, which God has promised for those who love him. Okay, so we've got, count it all joy. We've got to rejoice in the midst of trials. We've got to remember and know that uh, uh, trials are producing a tenacious faith. And then ultimately, know the design of God for your trial. Now, I want to just talk about a couple real quick, hard-hitting, practical applications of this passage. Number one, God is committed to your spiritual growth. You can bank on it. God wants to grow you as a Christian. God is is invested in you. He cares about you. He cares about you enough to not leave you floundering, but to mold and shape you into a man of God or a woman of God. And if you feel like, I'm, I'm, like, a, I'm like a baby Christian, he's wanting to grow you up. You don't want to stay in diapers forever. He's wanting to grow you up. Romans 5.3 Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God loves us too much to let us be stagnant in our faith. So rejoice knowing that it's a good thing is coming from the bad thing that's happening. Number two, look at the design and the end and the goal of your trials to inspire the joy that you ought to have in the midst of it. Don't have tunnel vision on what's happening right in front of you, but look to the future of what God is doing in you. Don't have tunnel vision and look at the circumstances and be like Peter looking at the storm, beating on the boat. He's scared. He's walking on water. And then all of a sudden he sinks. Because he looked around him instead of looking to Christ. Look to Christ. Count it all joy. Let the deepening and sweetening of your faith be an unshakable emblem of Christ and His glory to the world around. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were once faced with a decision where they going to bow down to idols in ancient Babylon. And these were friends of Daniel the prophet. And they, they were told, you've you got to bow down to these false gods or we're going to throw you into the fiery furnace. And so they were faced with a test, with a trial. And were they going to look to God? Were they going to cling to God or not? And they decided, hey, we're going to fear God. You throw us into the flames. And ultimately, our God can protect us. And even if he doesn't, he'll decimate you. So they just had bold faith. And they got tossed into the flames, into the fiery furnace. And they were preserved in the midst of the fire. They were not burned. And even the smell of smoke was not on their clothes. And then uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king at that time, is looking into the fire. And he's like, I see someone. He's like the Son of God. He looks like the Son of God walking with them in their midst. And Jesus was with them in the midst of the fiery furnace to preserve them and protect them in the midst of their trial and preserve them. And it was like a witness to the world. 
That's what God wants to do in your hearts. Oh, that God would ignite a fire in Smithfield, that we would live bold faith that lives through persecution, lives through trials, endures the suffering, and we're like lights and emblems of the gospel. That's what God wants to do in your hearts. And may it be like a, a faith-fueling, powerful reality in your soul right now as the Spirit's just saying, yes, I want this for you. That's what God wants to do. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various trials, for the testing of your faith produces patience. Now let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this message. I thank you for these truths. And I pray that you would just move them on our hearts. That we would, that we would live an unshakable faith that, that tenaciously clings to you. And Lord, if there's somebody who's not trusting in you right now, Lord, may they just cry out, Lord, I believe. I believe. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. I, I want this unshakable faith. I want this in my soul. And I pray that you would help me through the midst of trials, suffering, difficulty. Lord, give me boldness. Give me joy. And Lord, brew in my soul a tenacious faith. Father, I pray that you would do that for us. I pray, God, that you would be saving people, that they would, that they would see this kind of glorious reality lived out among us at Smithfield. And I pray your blessing on us today as we continue our worship. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.